This episode is sponsored by National Treasures Artists in Residence. National Treasures funds artist participation in artists in residence programs during their twilight years. They also forge mentorships so that expertise honed over years will be passed along one-on-one to a younger generation of artists and memorialized in a digital library. Visit nationaltreasuresair.org. On this episode, we have Kim O'Hara. Kim was born and raised in Rhode Island. She developed a childhood passion for film and moved to New York after college to produce, direct, and write independent films. She then made her way to the West Coast and reinvigorated her passion for writing, earning a publishing contract for her life's memoir entitled Kicking Abuse in the Ass. She parlayed that into a consulting practice where she now coaches clients to write books reflecting the stories of their lives. She's also launched a podcast entitled You Should Write a Book About That. Kim, thank you so much for being on our show. It's so wonderful to be here. Thank you. I really appreciate this. I've been looking forward to it for some time. You are a master storyteller, uh, as well as a master at culling stories from people. And so uh, it's really great to to have you um, here to, to talk about that. I'd love to begin with the uh, the early stages. So um, where did you grow up? Are you a California native? No, I am from the farthest point you could be from California in America. I am from Rhode Island. Nice. So I grew up in a little postage stamp, 25 miles long and wide. I think that's approximate, but it's about right. In a little fishing village that um, was mostly uh, middle class, uh, Portuguese and Irish Italian. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Um, and based on your last name, I'm going to assume Irish heritage. Yes, I'm very, Irish. I'm very <laughs> Irish with some Italian. The Italian's been diluted by the Irish, much to their chagrin. <laughs> well, very strong representation from, from two uh, immigrant, strong immigrant contingencies in, in the U.S. Kim, do you have siblings? I do. I have a sister, and uh, she is a design textile designer. Okay. Younger, older? She's eight years younger. Got you. And are your parents still with you? No, my, uh, well, uh, God, sorry, mom. My mom is still with us, <laughs> um, but my dad passed away, um, gosh, about 12 years ago now, 13 okay. years ago. Okay. All right. Um Tell us about um, growing up. What would you do for for fun? Like, what was the thing? Once you finished your homework, it's like I can't wait to get to do this. Well, it would shock you to know I read a lot of books, um, <laughs> <laughs> like a lot of books. And um, I was a concert pianist for a for a while. And, wow! Uh, wow. Writer and. Um, you know, uh, was pushed by, I had a very uh, entrepreneurial mom who really was a, you know, she was a perfectionist. So everything had to be done to perfection, which um, kind of sucked the joy out of, you know, piano for sure. Um, now I play the drums because I can just whack on things and I don't have to be perfect at all, which is great. But um, there was, there wasn't a, like a, I mean, I just think this is with the times too, you know, there wasn't a lot to do. We did a lot of, you know, we didn't have phones. We didn't have internet growing up. So there was a lot of, you know, there was Casey Kasem on the radio. I mean, there was top 40, you know, 40 every Sunday. 
forward to that every <laughs> Sunday. I had my radio and my notebook right. and I would track the, the uh, chart. Like I, I would do comparatives from one week to the next yeah. of why a particular song was moving up the charts. I, this benefited me in no way in life, but um, it was really something I needed to do. Like looking back, I feel like when you grow in a, up in a house and there's a lot of chaos and there's a lot of secrets and there's a lot of emotional distancing, I feel like we look for control and order in the places we can find it. And for me, that was something that I felt like I had control of. If I knew where the songs were going in the charts every week, then I had something to kind of, I could be in order with something where there wasn't, where there was seeming order, but there wasn't, there was still, it, there was still chaos. Does that make sense? Oh, a hundred percent. I'm so glad you've framed it that way. Um, also reading and music are great forms of escape. Mm-hmm. Um, and they assist uh, tremendously in emotional regulation, just sort of getting us to a place where we would rather be um, than, than what's going on. Um, I appreciate your highlighting some of the uh, sort of uh, discord um, growing up and um, the emotional distancing was a very powerful term. Um, I know that um, you've had some very significant trauma that you've mm-hmm. talked about within your own writing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I wonder if uh, the genesis of it was during this time and if to the extent you're comfortable sharing, Kim, it sure. would be great to hear about that. Oh, I'm very open that I'm a sexual abuse survivor, um, especially since I didn't come to terms with it until six years ago. So mm-hmm. it's still a, a, a place of exploration. I can firmly say I'm on the other side of it completely in terms of the actual trauma, like the actual, you know, those first couple of years were extremely emotional, extremely painful to realize what I had denied. I think that I was angry about the time that had been wasted. And when I wrote my book, Kicking Abuse in the Ass, a lot of it is about unpacking all those areas of my life that the trauma had affected unbeknownst to me unbeknownst to me so i think i was angry i was like well i would have done that different or i would have done friendships different i would have done marriage different i would have done sexuality different you know you know so i had to get write the book to get to the other side of what had been done to me as a child now that i'm six years on the other side of it and i've helped so many other people write their stories which involve trauma that i'm able to now see some of the patterns in a way that brings me to a better place in life right so i'm able to see oh you know significant trust issues with romantic partners created by this but now it's my responsibility i have awareness now i can make a choice how happy do you want to be yeah, that's so wonderful the way you say it, um, Kim. How happy do you want to be? Um, I also love that uh, you devote a lot of energy to uh, being in the service of others. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's amazing how therapeutic and healing that can be. Um, when you were in high school, 
who are the artists you loved listening to the most? Oh my God, no way. You're going to make me try to remember. I have the worst <laughs> memory ever. Just Will Casey Kasem's <laughs> voice in your head. And when he said, and taking the number one spot this week is, well, I you love, got so excited. You know, like, I mean, I loved Madonna. You know, she was sure. so free yeah. with her rubber bracelets and, right. you know, um, and I guess the 90s was Paula Abdul. I'm trying to think like the 80s was a lot of like REO Speedwagon and right. like, um, <laughs> you know, Quiet Riot. And like, I was a little bit of like, I on one hand was like into pop, but on the other hand, I was a little bit of like a headbanger, you know? Yeah, of course. I remember how ACDC like, was like yes. Foreigner, Absolutely. you know, you put on the Foreigner album. Right. Like, remember, we had albums. So <laughs> yeah. You would put remember going the, yeah. the stack on the turntable. I That's think it right. could take like four. Right. And like sit in your room and the, the, the albums would just drop and like, you know, yeah. waiting for a girl like you. I mean, unfortunately, these are how we created our romantic ideals, which is probably <laughs> why things haven't worked out so great for me, you know, but uh, yeah. Yes, yeah, it's uh, the perils <laughs> of uh, that generation, huh? Like uh, <laughs> our views of the world designed by, you know, it could have been a drug-infused songwriting session. <laughs> and we took it to heart. We're like, they're telling That's how us it works. exactly how to do it. And then Every it rose has its thorn. I hear you, Brett Michaels. <laughs> when, you, when you hear it as an adult, you're like, wait a minute. <laughs> actually pretty messed up. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure it, it gets to the point. Oh, I, um, love that. I love that question. Thank you for asking it. It's such a great question. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it felt like, um, well, and, and thank you for indulging me with a, a great answer. Um, okay, well, what about the literature side? Because, you know, I, I think it's such an important theme of your life is your love of story. And yeah. so what was it? And I, maybe it was a film inspiration as well, but what really just got you and you said, oh my God, I love this. My dad, ironically, um, was a big influence with me on film. He really liked, and, and creativity. He was a trapped artist. He had no outlets. Um, he was, you know, a lawyer and um, really wasn't able to realize his creativity like he wanted to on this earth. And he would take me to Charlie Chaplin movies on Martha's Vineyard. <clears throat> and um, we would go to Peter Sellers movies together and laugh, yeah. like laugh, like there's nobody's business. And so the movies were very romanticized for me because this was my first sort of male relationship. It was a little distort, well, it was very distorted, but it also had this like beautiful creativity in it, you know? And so I think I went into movies a, for the love of movies, B, because that's where that tr male trust was. And I just like took off in the movies, just bringing the love of what I had watched growing up into cinema. Now, unfortunately, I worked out all the shit I wasn't facing 
in the movies I made. So like I made movies about drugs and I made movies about alcohol and I made movies about sex and I, I didn't make any like light comedy, right? Which I always was like, I really want to make a light comedy. <laughs> there was no light comedies. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Well, um, and thank you for uh, diving into that because I really wanted to, to get in. I mean, you spent a decade and a half uh, as a Hollywood producer and screenwriter. Um, tell us briefly, though, uh, you started out at Emerson College, the, the choice there. Yes, I basically was told by my advisor senior year that um, that I was screwed and that I had, you know, I had failed out of this all girls school to leave basically. I had been an honor student and I had failed out and then I'd gone to this Catholic high school and was so like freaked out by the new environment. I had failed my junior year pretty much. And then, wow. so he said, in order to get into any college, you need to pull all A's like senior year. And then you have like a hope and a prayer that you might get in. Wow. And I pulled all A's and I found out Emerson was not only a great acting school because I wanted to be an actress, but it was, it required like 0.2 GPA. Like you literally <laughs> could be the dumbest board in the world, but if you could sing and act, you could go. So I was like, I'm in. That's so I applied to one college and I got into one college and I went. And Brilliant. two years in, I discovered filmmaking and I didn't want to be an actress. I wanted to be a filmmaker. Yeah. And then it got too expensive, so I left. Okay, all right. And uh, when you say left, you headed straight for LA, or tell us no, about, walk us through that transition. No, I went back to Rhode Island okay. to financially get, like, get my bearings. I sure. lived in a farmhouse with like a Harvard professor. He was like 85 years old, brilliant, <laughs> brilliant African-American man. It was the wildest, the, that summer, like I should write a book about that. I was summer. just going to say, that sounds like a perfect setup for a it book. It was or like film. the most beautiful relationship I could ever have. He's passed now, so I can say this. I got him into Alcoholics Anonymous when I was 17 years old. Wow. I had, okay, my it's not 17, how old is it? 18 and a half. I had, I didn't end up getting sober until I was 44 years old, 44, 44 years old. But yet I knew to get him sober, like wow. such Amazing. a trip. And yeah. he taught me, he sat me down and basically gave me the riot act. He's like, cause I wasn't applying to other, I was sort of waitressing. You could see the slippery slope, like no offense to full-time waitresses in Rhode Island, but I was, I had more to do in this world. Like That's it was good. clear yeah. and he saw that and he said to me, he sat me down one day and he said, here's the deal. You have no clue what you're doing you're applying to colleges that are just as expensive as the college you just left. That makes no sense. What do you need to do to succeed? Like, what do you need to do to get out of here basically? And I figured it out. Like just, just knowing he was there and he would putter in his garden and I would watch him get up in the morning and he would have his, he would, you know, pour his little whiskey and then he'd go out into the garden. And I was such a like, observer of other people's drinking. It was so interesting. It's such a young age. I had, you know, I grew up watching. So mm -hmm. I was very aware. 
And um, we just had this incredible relationship. Now, did, I should write, there's a book in there about There's a total right? book in there. I mean, it's, it's amazing. I wonder if the, was the drinking like a trigger for you? Did it mean that? I mean, I was 18 and a half and I was dating someone who did drugs and we all did drugs. And it was yeah. like, I, you know, it's so interesting how you can see other people's addiction yeah. more than you can see your own for yeah, so yeah, long, yeah. For so long. It's amazing. Well, you know, uh, in the hero's journey, uh, at the end of the first act, isn't there always a sage or the wise person who uh, hints at the journey and then we finally listen to, we hear the call, we listen to to them. <laughs> Looks like this gentleman was that for you. <laughs> yes, yes. And it's funny because the, the, the farmhouse was so random, right? In this, you know, down this dirt road and in Rhode Island and there was a bull who would like who was in the field next door I mean we're talking really rural Rhode yeah. Island you know and every morning he would just focus on my window and just bellow right and I just get out there with rocks and I just like I'd be totally hung over and I just be like throwing these rocks at him and it's almost like the bull's like wake up <laughs> it's hysterical that now I've got amazing. the cat now I've got the cat <laughs> like all right <laughs> animals guiding the way i love it spirit animals the whole way there's a theme here for uh, multiple <laughs> stories multiple books that could be be released um True. that's fantastic now i i mean i think we've stumbled on something here that uh, you should i would love to, i would read that story and i would get so much out of it so um that sounds really amazing so when did you leave the farm <laughs> so funny to hear you say it like that. What <laughs> um, so I got into Buffalo, uh, Canisius College in Buffalo, and that became my alma mater. And I graduated from there in 91. It was a little college for accounting in uh, Buffalo. It was like the only film major. They had, they had to like come up with a curriculum for me, which, which has continued in my life, by the way. I have made people create curriculums for things when I've been like, I need to work with you. And they're like, well, we don't really work with individuals. I'm like, yeah, you'll figure out a way because we, we need to work together. And then they're That's like, fantastic. I figured out a way to work with you. I'm like, because we're, we have to work together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, and then graduated from there, went to New York City and really found my, <clears throat> it was the heyday of indie filmmaking in New York That's City. Right. It was a really exciting time to make it. Yeah, early nineties was great for that. I mean, it was like Brooklyn was Brooklyn and Spike, you know, Spike Lee was making movies and it was just like hard hitting, like independent. And I just got, um, I did a stint in TV for about a year as an executive assistant. And then after that, um, got into film. That's amazing. Well, you um, talked about um, the various themes that you explored um what were some of the experiences uh, the stories that have really stayed with you that you reflect back on and you feel pride that yes I'm so happy that i put this out there well there's a movie called happy hour with um anthony lapalia and eric stoltz and it was a real like honor to work with eric stoltz because you know mm. he had been in mask and he had been he just was such a seminal you know uh actor and 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 it was a script that I had found from a brand new writer who was going to direct it, who did direct it. And I just was very proud of 
the whole process. And it was about an alcoholic who dies of alcoholism, you know, disclaimer. But anyway, if you can find it on Netflix, you can watch it. And there's one scratched disc out there somewhere. But um, it, it was just a really, it was a really great experience. Um, and uh, I made a movie that I wrote called American Reunion. And yeah. that was a wonderful, harrowing, emotional experience um and we shot it in ojai california mm -hmm. <clears throat> like on no money for 20 days and we had corey glover from the band living color nice. and jennifer rubin who had been like a model and she had been in these movies like screamers and nightmare on elm street and these people came together and, and it was like I'll never remember this moment where Stephen Gilborn, who was the dad on Ellen for the whole run of the Ellen show, mm -hmm. rest his soul. He was such a beautiful man. And the way that we did the script was, it was this thing called dogma style, where mm -hmm. you, you took these tenants from Denmark that had been used to make these movies like Breaking the Waves and Celebration, and you had these like there couldn't really, there was a plot, but there couldn't really be, like things could be deviated and there didn't have to be a plot, but there was a plot. And so he was struggling with a line that I had written and this, we were shooting this scene in a restaurant and I went up to him and I said, you know, it's really okay that you can't get the line. Like I'm, I'm good with you not saying the line. And he turned to me and he goes, are you kidding me? this is the best script I've ever had an opportunity to do. Wow. I'm getting this line and we're not changing a word. And I was wow. like, whoa. That's phenomenal. <laughs> no one had ever affirmed my writing before that. Goosebumps, that's really good. No one good. had ever affirmed, and God bless him, I still didn't hear it. I went, I still, you know what I mean? Like, you know, you just still don't hear it. Like someone's like, you're great. It's amazing. Oh. Um, that's a lot of activity to be involved with. You're writing screenplays, you're also producing, um, holding down this job. Um, uh, kept you very busy. Um, yeah. What was the story or the screenplay that you really wanted to make but didn't have a chance to? Oh, there's a, there's a screenplay that has just tormented me my for so long. I was just actually looking at it in my folder the other day, <clears throat> super dark. I mean, like mm. darker than dark. And I've written a lot of funny, great screenplays. And I have a good friend, Chris, who has read some of my like funnier, kind of like racier stuff. And he's like, when are you gonna put out the funny, racy, crazy? And I'm like, I'm getting there, I'm getting there. But this, this, it's a movie called The Criminal's Kid. And it's about a girl who decides to, it was kind of influenced by, do you remember the movie with Natalie Portman? She was really young and it was Jean-Luc Besson and she's the little girl and she's his dad and she- Oh yeah, he's the assassin. He's the assassin. Was yeah, Point of No Return or not in Point of No Return? Was it the assassin? What was that movie? Yeah. But I know the film. There's one bathroom scene. Uh, yeah. I remember oh, the movie. God. And it's kind of got sexual innuendo. And like that movie was really powerful for me. So I remember thinking, you know, working through this crap with my dad, right? And, which is what we do as writers. Like our material is working crap through what we're trying to get through. And <laughs> yeah. the Criminal's Kid is about this young girl who breaks her dad, like in a big sort of like, 
you know, Armageddon, high action scene moment breaks him out of jail, like out of maximum security jail for a murder. And they go on this road trip together. And over the course of this road trip, you know, he's got this girlfriend he reunites with in Tahoe and she's a piece of crap and whatever. She realizes is it she realizes at a certain point <clears throat> he's actually guilty. Yeah. And now she and then she realizes when he realizes that she's guilty, that he's gonna kill her. And she realizes how expendable wow. she is. Wow. So it's now who's gonna do who first. Yeah. And I just can't get it to I can't figure it out. <laughs> it's too complicated. I'm too co- it's too complicated. So I put it down. I was like, I don't know who's killing who or why or what, but it, it was a great it was a great concept, you sure. know. No, I love it. I mean, I'm enthralled. <laughs> I would totally want to see this and um the daughter has to prevail. The daughter has to prevail. Like at the end of the script currently, she does prevail. Like yeah. she leaves him in a Mexico town, like a little Mexico town. And yeah, yeah. She gets him totally, totally caught. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. that, that's the story arc. Yeah. 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 Wow. <laughs> I want you to make that movie. I know. I got to make the movie and write the book now. I got to get busy. I got to do these two things so I can come back on your podcast in like two years and be like, hey, the movie premiered and the book's a Pulitzer Prize winner. That would be absolutely amazing. And then I can say, you know, thank you so much for inviting me to the premiere. It was great to be there with you. (laughs) Kim, at some point you transitioned out of the business. Um, Walk us through what happened there. I was living in San Jose at the time. My um, ex-husband had a job then at Netflix. <clears throat> and he'd gone into the to the you know the tech world. It was that time for that. And uh, there was no film in San Jose. And I had a little kid, and I was really shell shocked. I mean, I had just gone from a very artistic life to a suburban mom. <clears throat> I'm not a suburban mom <laughs> at all. I'm a great mom, but I I like even right now I live in a very urban environment mm-hmm. and. Um, so it was it was a challenge so to keep myself alive creatively like just to feel like there was something going on inside of me i took advantage of the education that was around me so i went to san jose state and i took um an american novel class and it was a freshman class and so i was in there at like 42 with like all these freshmen and it was one of the most like refreshing and rewarding. I mean, if you ever want to get reinvigorated, go <laughs> to a class with a bunch of freshmen. Right. <laughs> Let me tell you, right. because the youth and the energy was so powerful. And I got so schooled in that class. I mean, that teacher was so hard on me. I had never done any of the like annotating. Like, um, right. I mean, I went to M, like, I, 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 you know, I didn't really, Canisius <laughs> was great, but it, it just, I hadn't really had English classes. Gotcha. So um, I got bad grades on my papers and then um, really learned a lot from her. I really learned a lot from her. And then I went to Stanford and I took a creative, creative writing class um, on humor. See, I've been trying to be funny for a while on humor and um that was fun. And I was pregnant with my second child when I went and did that. Right. So, um, you know, trying to keep it, trying to keep it fresh, but 
it was gone. The movie making career was over. And when I got back to LA, I knew it was over and I just didn't have it in me anymore. I just, I, I had lost that like burn to do it. I knew there was something else coming, but I had to go through all this discovery, this yeah, personal yeah. discovery before I could get to where I am today as a book coach and podcaster. Yeah, no, that makes complete sense. And I wonder if going through some of those um, uh, writing classes um, kind of uh, helped you unearth a new calling, which was a story you had in you that you needed to, to get through. And that's why the movie making business lost its luster. Um, wow, I hadn't really thought about it in that way. You're right. I mean, I say this to clients all the time. Look, journal, it's great, yeah. but it's not going to make you a writer. Right. It's not going to get you to write a book, and it's really not going to get you on the other side of something because you're just you writing to you. Like, you're the same you with the same opinion on the same crap get out of yourself and, and be witnessed by other people. And you're right, actually. I wrote some pretty, <laughs> some pretty messed up stories in those classes. People were like, who are you? I felt like my friend Chris, my Chris was like, Chris was like, who are you? I'm like, there's someone in here that's like coming out. Really you know? dark, dark humor. <laughs> dark and funny and messed up, you know? Oh, that's great. Well, and, I wondered if those were the stepping stones to uh, to, uh, to kicking abuse in the ass. The your book, um, which by the way, phenomenal title. I really Thank love that. You. It that uh, that control element that I I'm gonna assert myself and I own this now is yeah. is really superb. It's because psychologically that's such an important element of of abuse. Um, that sense of lack of control while you're experiencing the trauma. Um, walk us through, um, you know, starting there, that uh, journey, getting it published and so forth. Sure. I had originally called the book, The Lies We Tell Ourselves, mm. and brought it to this brilliant cover designer. <clears throat> Excuse me. His name is Rick Penn Krause. He had, he's done like a ton of New York Times bestsellers covers. And uh, I, I, I presented him the book and the proposal because you use proposals to go out and get publishers because I have a publisher sure. of the book. I did not self-publish. And he read the proposal and he called me up and I love him because he's just passionate. Like he could have just been like, the just did the job, right? Yeah. Um, and he called me up and he goes, so like, what are we gonna do here? Are we gonna do like a little girl like standing over a puddle with like a tear? Like, and I was like, well, he goes, what is up with this title? This title is like, has nothing to do with you. Like what? He's like, no. And I was like, okay. And he's like, no. He's like, you said you were kicking abuse in the ass in the book. That's what you're gonna call it. And I was like, wow. And he's like, and we're going to put in parentheses a brutally honest memoir. He's like, because you lay it out, like you lay it out. And I was like, done. That's and great. so he really titled my book. Wonderful. He got a lot wow. of credit for that. And so then I went out with it and he did this beautiful cover that I just, I love the cover he did. He's so talented. And, um, 
you know, I'll be perfectly transparent. I got a publisher, I put it out and I did a couple book signings and I've never really promoted it. And I'll tell you that I truly believe and I'll tell you why this belief is starting to come to pass. I had an inner knowing that the book did not require some big book tour, splashy mm. marketing, big PR. Something in me said, Kim, when you get to a certain place where you have notoriety, people who need to find your book will find your book in a very big way. Wow. But if you try and make it something, A, it's not exactly your brand, then it won't work the way it's supposed to work. And just two weeks ago, um, someone took a quote from my book, put it in a graphic, put it on Instagram, quoted me and said, I'm the person that gave her strength to go in and talk to her abuser after 29 years. Wow. That's I'm so like nice. done. I'm like done. Need I, that's it. That's enough. I'm yeah. done my job. Wow. So, so oh, I don't suggest that for clients at right. all. Right. You write a book, you get it out there in the biggest way you can. You be a bestseller, you be a published, you know, you get published, you have a career. I was very clear that this was just catharsis. Yeah. Amazing. And that if it touched other people, great, but I was not going to have a career off this book. Like the yeah. clients that come to me that want a career connected to their book. I was yeah. not going to be a sexual abuse trauma consultant right. or advisor. So it is out there to do what it needs to do when it needs to be done. That's really superb. Uh, it just, um, so moved by that, uh, what you shared, yeah. this, this woman, what she was able to, to achieve and do um based on your story and I, I think there are going to be countless more stories like that um so so i'm grateful that you put it out there it wasn't easy uh, as we've talked about um but it, it's nice to hear you use the word catharsis um there were, yeah there were definitely moments i mean like any writer i'm like any writer I'm not like different because I'm a book coach. At the end of the day, when I write, I'm just like any, I have the same fears, I have the same resistance, I have the same issues. And to finish the last draft, so I wrote the book <clears throat> and then I put it away. Yeah. Which is apparently a pattern of mine that's <laughs> obvious in this interview. So I put it in the drawer and a client called me out. A client called me out one day. She was like, so where's your book? And I was like, oh, it's, you don't need to know about my book. She's like, so you're a book coach and you don't have a book. Oh. And I was like, I have a book. She goes, where is it? And I was like, I'm almost done. She goes, well, good. I'll be looking for that book. And then I was like, oh no. So I went to the library. The Beverly Hills library has a quiet room oh, yeah. where nobody can speak, nobody can eat you can't be on your phone. It's like quiet room. And I dedicated like five weekends to the quiet room and I finished that book. Wow. Amazing. Well done. Yeah. Catalysts yeah. abound. Was it? <laughs> no, I, it, I've been there and uh, no, it's You've not. You've written a book, which we're going to talk about later on my podcast. Yes, yes, absolutely. We will. It was, what's interesting, we talk about process. I've written three. 
And wow. um, the first one that got done was the last one to be started. Um, it just uh, it happened. You had, your, you had your legs. Yes. Yeah. I kind of figured out how to do it. And then it just came very quickly. Yeah. Um, whereas the first two um, were, were challenging and had to be worked, you know, just uh, being in the quiet room at the library for several <laughs> weekends in a row. Um, that was, uh, that was critical. Um, so you started your book coaching practice and consultancy in uh, 2015, calling yeah. it a story inside. And um, talk about how that experience has been. Oh, it's just been one of the most phenomenal experiences in my life. Like That's I could true. have never imagined this would have been a career ever, yeah. ever. Yeah. I mean, I loved books when I was making movies. I was always trying to option like Brokeback Mountain. Like I was like, I, I would find things and I wouldn't think, Kim, this is not, you can't afford, I would just go for it, right? And I wouldn't get it, but I, I was so passionate about turning books into movies. And I still am. Like if I, if I have a client who has a book that they think is a movie, I'm like, how can we get this made? So maybe one day that'll happen, which would be wonderful, like full circle. Yeah. Um, but, the joy that I receive, I had a client just finish the first draft of her book last night. Wow, I'm going to get emotional. She's on the video with me and we're finishing and she's talking and I was like, are you crying? Like you could see the wet on her face. And she's so like, not tough, but she like didn't even, and I'm like, are you crying? She's like, this is, she's like, this is intense. Like I'm, I'm done with like my first, and I was like, oh my God. God, like I almost didn't, I was so moved by being part of that process. I was like, there's really nowhere else I'd rather be on a Monday night sure. than right here. Yeah, this yeah. And I have these experiences with clients all the time. I have, um, I'm intuitive and I'm empathic. So I do feel certain paths of success that are available for them. And I call them out on it. And uh, uh, my client that just was number three on the Wall Street Journal. Uh, Alan uh, Maxwell. Alan Maxwell. Yeah. He, I was in the Intercontinental Hotel in December. And I was. The one I, in Century City. No. Or downtown. Downtown, which has crazy, amazing views. And I had gotten myself a junior suite from, I was turning 50. I was like, it, only get a junior suite when you're turning 50. And I, and then there was a wall street journal in the, in the room, because that's kind of how those places roll, right? Like I wouldn't buy a wall street journal, but it was there. So I opened it up and I saw the top 10 business books and I had never really focused on that in print. And I took a photo of it and I sent it to Alan and I said, this is you in six months. Wow. And it was Oh my God. Okay. In addition to being an empath and an in intuitive, you're a clairvoyant. I don't know what it is, but it's, <laughs> do not discount the power of this is what's going to happen. I love that. You intentioned it in the most beautiful way. Wow. Okay. So everyone listening who wants to write a book, <laughs> Kim yeah, is the go-to person. <laughs> yes. And then come to me. <laughs> 
Uh, it's, it's really phenomenal. I love that story. That's so great. And and Alan has obviously um, experienced a great deal of success. Um, yeah. He's uh, just a, 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 an incredible human. He calls me his ride and die. We are still working together. I'm uh, nice. supporting him through PR and marketing. Nice. Um, because he's just this incredibly busy CEO. Yeah. And, you know, when the book was on the Wall Street Journal and USA Today and an Amazon beating out Marielle Trump's book and beating out, you know, I mean, it would have been number one in the Wall Street Journal if Alex Trebek hadn't written his memoir that week. <laughs> Freaking Alex Trebek. Yeah, Alan. But, you know, he's busy. So I am keeping him. He just asked me, he's like, stay by my side. Like I've got a lot more to do here. He's got more books to write. That's phenomenal. Well, and you, um, you helped get that out of him. That's really superb. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Kim, who's an ideal client for you? Well, you know, someone like an Alan or I have a client in Brooklyn, Naomi, who wrote a book about binge and binge eating. Um, just come with a, I just signed a client yesterday who just came to me. It's just, they're like, I'm in, Mm, I'm in. You're the person who's going to push me. I'm ready to listen. Tell me what to do. I'm ready to write. Here's my credit card. Like there's no baloney. Um, There's really no time. We've got so much to do. Yeah. There's just not a lot of time for baloney. Yeah. And I, Yes, running a business is sales, but I have learned if someone calls me up and they're like, oh my God, that's expensive. Or like, you know, I I just hold space for them because that's where they're at. Or if they're like, well, I don't know, you know, I got to go talk to my, you know, spouse or um, maybe the timing's not right or whatever. Peace out. Like yeah. you're on your yeah. journey. Like I am not going to start giving you the like. Well, have you thought of your know, flip to sales chart taught by right. sales trainer? Right. I, <laughs> I I find it sort of doesn't pay off because I yeah. pushed people to do it with the sales talk. Not often, but it, I have once or twice, and they've been the hardest roads Mm, so interesting you gotta come on fire yeah Yeah. on fire and ready to write that book and believe what i've been through is valuable and you can have moments of fear or whatever but not many you gotta be you gotta be on fire and ready to go amazing that's so great yeah you bring that out in people such a great way and uh you know i love what you just shared like you know when your client is uh at the right spot and and you meet them where they are uh, rather than than trying to force it Uh, i think that's really really exquisite um tell us about your podcast (laughs) which you're going to be on i'm very much looking forward to it (laughs) you should write a book about that and this is a beautiful segue from what we were just talking about with sales is that I had done, you know, this whole funnel and this whole thing. And I just, I just hated it. I was just like, <laughs> I hate it. 
And I had I this great guy who worked with me, so wonderful. His name is Mike Walker and helped me set up the whole funnel. And there couldn't have been a better person to walk me through all the stuff I couldn't stand, right? And I did it for a while and I was like, oh, this just isn't for me. I learned a lot and I was in the car driving and I just said, God, just like, give me a, give me like a lead magnet that's not a lead magnet. Right. Like just give me something that just, I could just do what I do. And then it's just helping more people maybe write a book, but not, I don't just help me. And it came to me through, uh, it channeled through that it should be this blog called Influential Women with a Story to Tell. And I launched it on LinkedIn last year. And wow, I interviewed great. some unbelievable women, like yeah. tops in their field of health and, you know, healthcare, you know, some phenomenal Latina women, just mm -hmm. really, but I got called out on it finally by someone who said, you've got this gregarious personality, you've got this film background. Why are you not on camera, on a pot? Why are you hiding behind a blog? Like that, I don't know, people, 700 people are reading. I mean, yeah. and I was like, oh, all right, I'll just do the damn podcast. So I launched it in March in coronavirus. Well. Wow. That's fantastic. And we have like a thousand listeners a week now. Yeah. Wow. Well amazing. done. Yeah. That's, that's really phenomenal. Well, I, my, this podcast is also a, a pandemic podcast. It, uh, launched May 1st. <laughs> is that what uh, we're calling them? Pandemic podcasts? <laughs> I, I just coined it. Uh, it, we could it. just keep it with us. All right. And I could just edit that out. No, I mean, I think we are pandemic podcasts. There's no doubt about it. Maybe that's a special class and you're that's... May. So like, you're like second wave pandemic. <laughs> you didn't get it the first time. You will get it the second. <laughs> right. I'm oh, like dear. first wave. <laughs> we could have a lot of fun with this. Um, yeah, there's so many more titles out there. So, so kudos on, um, your audience and listenership. I mean, it, it, credit goes to, uh, the excellent manner in which you, you, uh, do the, you produce them. Um, and, uh, it's very intriguing your, your, uh, time, um, limit. I think that forces, uh, people to be very precise in what they're going to be sharing. Um, as opposed to meandering life journeys that take an hour to go through. Yeah, like like this one. No, I'm just kidding. You'll be editing. I was being self-critical. I'm happy with that. Self-deprecation. It's a great source of. Uh, you have a long sort of not. It's not Joe Rogan, but it's not like micro short. This is kind of a good time because we've covered a lot of stuff. It's it. It seems really good. And I have to tell you, I woke up this morning and you can share this or edit it if you choose. I had my first person uh, hedge on being on the show after recording for some legal reasons. Oh, and my first reaction was, well, first of all, I was pissed off because I had taken time. And then I was like, that's the wrong attitude. And then I was like, um, I kind of knew that. And then, so, you know, I was mad at myself. I should, maybe I shouldn't have recorded it. And then the third thought I had was, well, 
does she really think my podcast is so important that people are going to actually listen and she's going to get in trouble? That was the third thought. And then the fourth thought was, oh, she's not, I'm, I am, I'm not just saying yes, I'm going to make her listen to this and I'm going to call her out on her fear. Wow. Amazing. So I don't know what's going to happen. But I, I love that you don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> we'll see. You're, you're going forward. That's fantastic. Well, um, well, I'm definitely circling back with you to to see how that story ends. Um, a few more questions, Kim. Um, one is um, you've been in so many different um, medium uh, sort of content ways to access content. Um, how do you feel it's going to shift um, going forward? I mean, I just, uh, everything is, is a subject of, of uh, the times we live in, right? Um, I know books kind of um, were the only access point that, that people had for a number of decades. And then um, with television and uh, of course now internet and social media, there's just a lot more competition for people's attention for, the, for their time. Um, do you think um, books are going to remain a significant um, source? I think people love to talk about books. Mm. I think they love to talk about what they're reading. I think they love to be inspired by books. Yeah. I think we still have enough book successes and standout authors and people that transfer to keynote people and that have, you know, that are inspiring many people. I think it's really, um, I think that people that are writing books right now are going to be the like revered leaders because their books are going to come out when there's a gross lack of filmed content. Mm. They're starting to film again, but I'm from the movie business. It takes a long time yeah. to shoot and edit and distribute. So we're going to need books more than ever. Now, on the other hand, and I don't know what's going to happen with TikTok, but people are really into this like sort of TikTok right. thing. Right. And I've had someone send me a couple videos from TikTok and the ilk in which they sent them was, oh my God, I, I'm like, why is my teenager so grumpy? And they'll send me a funny TikTok video of a mother like doing something very funny in the same vein as what I'm right. feeling. Right. And I feel good, I feel better. I feel like I'm part of a community. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to need more, more content that helps build our community. community. Um, I don't know exactly what that looks like. I do know that the longer this pandemic goes on, people are going to continue to innovate to get more options for community. And I just think the Zoom meetings are not going to be enough. There's going to need to be some kind of interaction. And, I, and I'm not sure story-wise what that is, but um, I do urge my clients. And I just told the client that was you know, emotional last night, I said to her, we have 12 videos of our coaching, you know, coaching hours. You have been brilliant on all of those videos. I, you've had, you've gone off on tangents that have just dropped my jaw, cut up those videos mm. and just put them out. Yeah. You've got content. Don't care if it's produced. It doesn't have to be beautiful. Be you. Like I want her to put out the video 
of the call we had while the rioting was going on outside her window for Black Lives Matter. And I'm like, girl, you have to push through and write your book today. Wow. She's like, are you kidding me? Do you know what's going on outside my window? I'm like, yeah, you need to write your book. (laughs) That's great. She's like, are you aware that I'm a queer black woman and this has a lot of value? And I'm like, are you aware that I'm a book coach? (laughs) Oh, that's fantastic. Oh, that's so good. Put out those videos. People want, and I don't know if she'll take the advice, but I, they're there for her. Right. Well, I couldn't agree with you more in terms of a need to build community. And in fact, I just joined a a board of a company that's going to use, um, psychometrics uh, and uh, artificial intelligence to um, uh, assist parents uh, and their kids who are doing the distance learning to find like-minded kids and families um, who both uh, from a cognitive uh, side, but also from a social side so that we can sort of foster these communities and find other people like them or us as as kind of the, the idea. And so um, speaking of children going through distance learning, uh, how old are your kids now? Um, I, I have a 14-year-old and an 11-year-old. Oh, that's about and, uh, the same ages as mine. I have a 14 and a 12. Really? Yeah. Are they girls? My our daughter is the older one, and then my younger one's a boy. So I have two girls. Nice. And uh, God, you know, they're great ages. Like, they're just, they're like, they're like, they're like companions now. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. we go and oh, that's do great. like amazing things together and we have great conversations and I I feel like I can sort of finally really be myself. I mean, I'm always being judged. There's just no I don't know if you feel <laughs> constantly judged, but I'm I'm constantly being judged. Yes. <laughs> like, yes. Mom, I think you were a little angry with that. Mom, I think you were a little <laughs> Mom, I think you could tone <laughs> it down. Like, Mom, you shouldn't be eating that. Mom, are you gonna wear that? And I'm like, Jesus. So um <laughs> Especially in pandemic, because we're all around. But yet, I can't say anything about anything. <laughs> right. Those are the rules, in fact. Yeah. My son I, polices me a lot, but I can't do the... He gets I, very upset if I say anything to him. Yeah. The, 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 the most popular word said to me in this house is stop. <laughs> and I'm like, is there anything I can say? Right. Is there anything? Can, we, can you give me a, like a list of things... <laughs> You have a booger in your nose. Stop! I'm like, okay, go out with the booger in your nose. I don't know. All right, no, I'm not telling you. It's just so funny, the dynamic. And um, they are doing, my 14-year-old is very kind of utilitarian. Okay. Her room is undecorated. We just moved into this house. We've been here about a month and a half. And wow. it's phenomenal. I love my house. That's so great. Much. Congrats. And her room has no pictures. It's school it's it's she paints she's a painter it all goes on the page the walls don't have meaning it's a bed i mean it's very and then my 11 year old like has already bought art prints and we framed them for Etsy. (laughs) and there's there's colored ball they're so different right you know and she's like she'll stand at the thing she'll be like do you think i should get the like moth comforter or like the powder blue and i'm like i don't even know what's on my bed you're talking to the wrong person i'm kind of in between the two of them like i could care less but then i kind of want to design so because we moved there's a lot of that involved in the distance learning because we're in this new house yeah right 
So no, it's complete it's sense. nice. Yeah, that sounds like a, a fascinating dynamic uh, with your <laughs> with your daughters, and it's good to hear that they are um, forming a, a, a strong bond. Um, you're still right there. Every child is very different personality wise. Um, my daughter actually was inspired by what I've been doing, and she has a podcast of her own called oh. Feminine Focus. And she's been interviewing her peers, and a big focus is mental wellness. And uh, we discussed that term, and we decided uh, mental health almost seems to suggest something diagnosable. But why don't we talk about mental wellness in the same way we do physical fitness, um, which is meant to be preventative, meant to be just thoughtful and, and how to bring joy in one's life. And so um, uh, intensely proud of her. And uh, she co-hosts on another podcast as well called Dear Asian Youth. Um, yeah, she's, she's incredibly busy, which is great. I just, I love her energy. Um, but, uh, maybe we could get our daughters together. If your daughter might yes. be a, a podcast guest, yes. that could yes. be really interesting. That would be amazing. That would yeah. be amazing. Yeah, for sure. What do you lose if you want to write a book and you don't write it? Hmm. And I would say you lose an entire universe shift. Hmm. I believe in it that strongly. You slight yourself a whole new beginning. Wow. That's profound. And I could see that. I mean, it's one of those uh, deathbed regrets, right? If I only had written that book. <laughs> and so, and I oftentimes talk about when people ask me about uh, the books I've written, which has now been uh, you know, 12 years since I did, I said, in some ways, it was very much a bucket list uh, item for me. It's like I had a story inside, and I, I needed to get that out, and I did. And then those, one of the stories was uh, an homage to um, a couple that I often think of as uh, my parental figures. I mean, I was raised by my biological parents, but I had adopted this couple, and um, they were such a significant impact on, on my life, and I wanted their story to get out there. It was the only way I could find Kim to give them something in return for all the love, affection, and attention, being seen, being heard by them. And um, it was phenomenal when the book came out and they started disseminating it to their friends. Friends would just show up at their house and like give them a big hug and say, oh my God, <laughs> we had no idea, but now we finally understand you. And so I had miraculously was able to give them the gift of being seen and heard by the, this community that they've been involved with for the longest time. Um, sadly, they're no longer with us, um, but they were, they were quite on in their years. But you so they, got to memorialize their legacy. Yeah, which was a great honor to be able to, to do that and uh, talk about being able to give uh, such a meaningful gift. It just it felt so right to, mm -hmm. to do. Yeah. Wow. Kim, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for your time, your your insight. I just, uh, it was such a rich, lively conversation. I love your sense of humor, but also your, your humanity um, and your thoughtfulness and your willingness to be vulnerable. You were very candid in this interview and that, that means a lot. I think it's going to move a lot of people who are listening. I hope so. Then I've done my job. You absolutely have. Yeah. Thank, Thank you, you again. Yeah.